Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. By way of introduction, I was um, spent a lot of time just reflecting on, you know, the times I felt closest to God and the times I felt distant. I didn't feel like I was hearing from the Lord. And so that's just been heavy on my heart lately, and I was just reminded of what, what that looks like, you know, for me personally. One of those times you have, sometimes you have those moments where God, you can hear him so clearly, and then you have those times when you just, you question, where is the Lord? And so, and there's been times in my life where God has just woken me up, and it's been so abundantly clear, and I want to share one of those times. About 15 years ago, I was teaching a growth group in Sun City, Menifee area. Um, my, shortly after um, get, getting married, um, so, you know, young family, um, I think two kids at the time, um, was teaching faithfully a growth group, really wanted to get, get into it. I was, you know, that's where I grew as a, in, my, in my, I guess my faith, and so I wanted to give back in that area. Found myself um, just going through the motions at one point. Um, Tuesday nights became a rough night. You know, the, the host family was um, going through marriage problems, and it, it's one of those things, and if you're familiar with growth groups, sometimes you have those growth groups where all of a sudden you're there at 10 o'clock at night, and you're like, what happened? It was, you know, it became, that became a regular routine. And so it was honestly, you know, you know, it sounds bad, but it felt draining and I was tired. And one night praying with the couple afterwards, you know, just trying to encourage them in their marriage and just really wanting to get out of there. And, you know, the husband says to me, hey, I want to pray for you as you guys travel home. And I'm like, yeah, done. Let's go home. You know, I'm trying to grab autumn, you know. And there's those times when you're not, you're not, you're not in the spirit, you know. And um, but I, I had an instant conviction right then, you know. And so we prayed. Sorry, I get almost choked up thinking about it. Really, nothing more than you know we take for granted in everything, you know. And I never want to take for granted the opportunity to sit at the presence of the Lord. So we prayed, didn't think much of it, and honestly, I left that house, you know, slightly convicted, but didn't mean a whole lot to me. But as we drove home from Sun City, Autumn and I lived in Wildemar, and if you're familiar with the area, we went out to uh, Scott Road, Bundy Canyon Road, and uh, we started headed towards the 15 Freeway, where we used to live. And as we come down Scott Road, it's a windy road. And uh, if you know me, I drive fast, I don't drive slow, I'm always in a rush, I'm always late. Um, so as, we, as we're whipping around the road there, I suddenly, I, I, I hear this, I have this urge to pull over, and I hear this voice, and it's saying, pull over. I hear it again. Now, I know this sounds crazy because I feel weird even saying it to you, even as a pastor. But I can hear this voice, and I, it was so audible to me. And I, I didn't know what to do. But it kept repeating. So I looked over at Autumn. She's not hearing it. I'm thinking I'm going crazy. <laughs> so I, I start to keep driving, and then I just can't handle it. I pull over. I start to pull over into the shoulder. And Autumn says, why are you pulling over? Before I can even say, I don't know, a car comes around the bend where you can't see, spinning out of control. Would have hit us head on. Flies off the other side of the road. Never deny the, the presence of the Lord. To sit at his feet, to hear from him. The scriptures tell us, from the shepherd says that my sheep will know his, his voice. And the question for us today is, if we, do we know his voice? Would we recognize it? So if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 3, we'll pick up at verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has, 
has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white. They are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we look at Revelation, the book as a whole, we it can be best described, and the outline of it can be found in uh, Revelation verse 19, and it says, Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. That's the complete outline for the rev- Revelation. It, ge- it gives us you know, prophecy, it gives us the practi- practical things that we need, and it also speaks to us, not just as the churches, these, are, these were practical churches of the day. These represent the churches that we see today. You know, there's seven churches here in Revelation. But they also, if you look at them closely, they reflect what our, what our heart is. Who we are, where our, where our spiritual walk is, and where our spiritual growth is. So when we look at Revelation chapter 3, they were, they were, they were a dead church. You know, nothing like the, the Lord calling you out and calling you dead. And so... Let's, let's dig into this. Um, we're talking about the walking dead. They appeared live, but they were just going through the motions, just aimlessly walking, you know, dead men walking. Anybody watch the show Walking Dead? Anybody want to admit to that? Oh, shame on you. You guys are going to hell. Wow, you guys really watch that? All right, I admit it, I watch it. Autumn got me into it. It's the woman's fault. But, you know, The Walking Dead actually reminds me of this passage because, you know, I I can see the illustration of it. And so um, let's let's look at at it here. Look at verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis. So we've got to look at who who this church in Sardis is. We have a much clearer picture in a lot of the other letters to the churches of who they are and what, the, what their fallacies were and where they fell short. But for the church of Sardis, it's not so much what is not said that defines who they are. And so we can get a little more background on the church because there isn't much here in the text. But just looking at history and, we can, and you look at the city and where it is and how it, it lays out, um, it tells a lot. It was once a great city, um, you know, one of the a great city in all the world, very wealthy, about 50 miles out of Ephesus. Um, it was ruled at one time by a, a very famous wealthy king, and um, it was built on a mountaintop about 1,500 feet above the elevation below, and um, it was considered impregnable you know, against military assault. Because of the steep hills and the cliffs on that mountainside, it was hard for the enemy to make an attack. And so they, they took that for granted, they, uh, you know, they became a complacent. You know, the, the city as a whole was complacent. And so, um, you know, shortly, it didn't take much, but eventually they let down their guard. You know, and, and, you know, essentially sin had entered into that city. And it was just a matter of time before the enemy attacked. But the enemy didn't just attack once. They didn't learn their lesson. The enemy attacked again. And the way it happened is that Nobody was watching in their complacency. There was no guard at the gate on the back hill. And all it took was a group coming up at night, climbing up the cliffside. And many lost their lives. And that same attitude, that complacency, carries over to the church in Sardis. We don't know a lot about the church, but we do know that this must have carried in. For Jesus to call it a dead church, there were things that entered in. It's a little bit of leaven, leaven the lump. Levens the lope, you know, it just completely takes it out. The sin enters in. And so this is what's going on. The church is, you know, it's dying from the inside. It looks good from the outside. 
once a booming church, once a booming city, there was, but now, in, now potentially sitting in ruins. And it takes, the people don't realize it. It's a, from the all outward appearance, it's a healthy church. Here in this passage, you know, Jesus is characterized by his discernment, his ability to see through all that. He looks at the inside, he looks at the heart. He's the great discerner. Who else to look at this dead church and give us a true autopsy and tell us what's going on than the great physician? You know, he names out his credentials before he does that. He says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Let's look at the seven spirits of God. These aren't a, this isn't a group of spirits, this isn't you know, a bunch of angels, but this is the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. Revelation 1 t- tells us this in verses 4 and 5. It says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's t- he's, John's explaining right here. He's saying, you know, grace and peace, it comes from the Trinity of God. You cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. You know, so that, and so why seven spirits? Because in Isaiah 11, 2, it describes the Holy Spirit this way. It says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear, and the, and the fear of the Lord. So these are the seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit, the traits that the Holy Spirit takes on. These are the seven facets that make up the Holy Spirit. These are the things that, we have to assume are lacking in the church of Sardis, the dead church. Jesus always describes himself and in in the letters to the churches, his description of how he addresses himself is the very thing that there is their shortcoming. So this is a church that was operating in their flesh, in their own strength, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says he's he, is, he brings the, the seven stars. Revelation 1.20 actually tells us what the seven stars are. It says, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. I think the argument could be made, and I, I, I lean this way, is that, and I don't know for sure, so I'll just preface it with that, but, you know, is that those angels are the, the pastors and the leaders of those seven churches. You know, the Greek for angels is angelos, and it means a messenger. And in Scripture, we find other references to where that also was referred to, you know, the human messenger. And so um, it's very well possible that these were, you know, the pastors and the leaders of these churches. And Jesus held, holds them in his hand. He protects them. John 10, 27 through 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Daniel 12, 3 says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What's interesting about his use of, of calling them stars is that the stars are so distant from us, and by the time the light travels to us here on Earth, you know the star could have ended years, years back. The sun is about eight minutes away, the light that hits us. But you know, when the second nearest star is about four, four years away. So when you think about the context of that, as we see leaders that fail in our churches, and we see you know, vacancies in the pulpits, and we see men operate outside of the Holy Spirit, Often when a man leaves, starts working in his flesh, you don't see the end result until much later on. The people are blinded to it. They naively just go ignorantly through the processes, just going through the motions. But Jesus diagnoses this church. They're dead on arrival, is what he says. You know, this, the church in Sardis has been called a morgue with a steeple. You know, that would be just the most shameful thing to hear, but they weren't even paying attention to it. Think of the sadness of entering into a church expecting to have fellowship when we're called to love one another, and you enter into that church and you find nothing. You find emptiness. I think of my son, I took him to GameStop a few months ago. Um, he wanted a new game, 
we go in there, he's all excited, he runs, goes looking for it, grabs it off the shelf, he goes right up to the register, and the guy's like, oh, that's an empty container. That's, that's the way they do it at GameStop. And, and he's like, no, the, the game's not out yet. Oh, the look of disappointment. We ought to be disappointed the days that we walk into a church and we go about ministry and go about our lives and we don't call on the Holy Spirit. That we don't rely on his strength. For we are, we are often looked at by our outward reputation and it can be deceiving. You know, this was a church that was full of activity. There was vitality in it. There appeared to be life from the surface and from the outside. Maybe it was a large church even. Wealthy, wealthy area. Maybe they had the booming Awana, you know. Maybe they were in the middle of a building project. Maybe they had a lot of the traits that we have. But there comes a time when we have to make sure that we don't fall into those kind of things. You know, I don't believe uh, we as a church as a whole, this completely ministers to us in the sense that this is, describes us. We're a healthy church and we're growing and there's a lot of signs of that. But he says you have a name. I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive but you are dead. They had this reputation. The reputation superseded them which tells you when they say, he says you have a name that that one time this was a powerful church. They were making headways in the community. And they were relying more on what used to be than what is the present. They're living in the past, worshiping the past. The present doesn't match up with, you know, what, what was the past even. There's no reality there for them. But our inward conditions is what the Lord looks at. He can supernaturally scan your bodies. The first thing he's going to do is look at your heart, look at your motivations, and look at why you do the things you do. You know, I had a family friend growing up, and she, um, a good friend, uh, mom, and went to the dentist, totally healthy, totally fine, goes to the dentist. Dentist says, you got something on your tooth there, jaw, you got something wrong. Two weeks later, she died of cancer. When we operate in our flesh, it's like that. We can appear and we can sit here in church at times and we can put on a show and you know, we can love on people around us, but there are a great many people that will walk out of here sad, let down. And that grieves me. What's interesting about this church is that they weren't persecuted like a lot of the other churches that we read about in Revelation. There's no reference to that. They were so lackadaisical about their ways that the enemy didn't even, didn't even reach their radar. There was no battle over territory with the enemy. And I think sometimes if we don't have, we're not going head on with the enemy, it's probably because we're going in the same direction as him. Judges uh, 14 through 16 describes the story of Samson and how he continued just basically living a life of sin. And um, then in Judges 16:20 it says, but he did not know the Lord had departed from him. After his hair was cut, you know, he just continued in his lives and he found himself at a spot where, you know, he didn't have the power that he once had and the authority. But it was, it was a gradual thing and he just didn't realize one day it was gone. Here at this church, you know, we have a really simple vision. You'll see us promoting it more and more this next coming year because we want, we want you guys to know what we're about. When you come in these doors, I pray that is what you, exactly what you experience. And the vision is this. This is, what we, this is what we promote. Reliance is about making disciples who know, love, and serve Jesus and his people. Really, everything we do here falls under that. That's the measuring thing for us as a church. Our ministries have to go under that. We need to lead people to know Christ, to love him so intimately that they'll serve him and serve his people. Because Jesus said, you'll know that you're disciples of mine for the love you have for one another. You know, there's an investigation, as you know, going around right now for the two Muslim terrorists that um, 
just had that whole t- tragedy in San Bernardino. And what you see in the news right now is more and more information that comes out and gets revealed by them, by what's, what their history was, what their background was, and that they were, they were basically, they were radicalized, you know, over two years ago, it wasn't an overnight thing, didn't leave the office upset. But think about it. The, the world is looking to convict them. They want to know what they stand for. How legit was it that they were Muslim? How legit was it that they were terrorist? And the question for you and I is when we look at our own Christian faith, is there enough evidence of it that we would be convicted? If, they, if we dug into your life, like the, like the FBI is doing to these people, we went through your social media, we looked through your computer and your history, would it match your, your walk and what you say it is today, this morning, as you walk in this church doors? Would the history on your computer mirror your heart? Jesus always offers a hope and a way of escape for those that are dying, and this church is about to experience that through this letter. It's, God is in the, re- in the resurrection business. Amen? He continually is actively bringing dead sinners and the dead church and bringing them back to life. But in, in our country right now, there are churches dying left and right. They fail to see the conditions of themselves. And a dead church means there's dead congregants. It doesn't just fall on the leadership. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll pick up at verse 1. And you who made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, whereby nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, made us, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace and in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is no greater gift that we could give one another and to give to people that come into our church than to offer them salvation in the Lord's grace. I think there's no sweeter sound in our church than when we hear the pastor from the pulpit say, I see your hand. Because we know that the Lord sees that person. The Lord loves them. The Lord delivers them from their own condemnation. When things appear at their worst and you're at, the, you're at your biggest despair, that's often, that's when God is at his best. That's why we named this church Reliance. Because we found ourselves at a spot, most of the leadership that came into this church, were, we were challenged. We left jobs. We left security. You know, we left the income and, all, and everything that goes with it. But to rely on the Lord is one of the greatest places you can ever be. And you find yourself today desperate, and you find yourself in that need, you are in a good place. Jesus prescribes um, several treatments here in the scriptures of how to, um, how to redeem this church, how to bring health and vitality back to it, true health. Before we go there, I'm going to put a couple real quick on the screen for you. These are things that cause a church to die. These aren't, these are just things for us to be mindful of. These are things from several different authors and different um, things I've read. They're in no order, but think about them. Superficial knowledge of the word. Worshiping the past over the creator. Remember who I used to be? That's our attitude sometimes going into things. I'm owed this, Lord. Resistance to change and growth, a lack of evangelism. We ought to be leaving people to Christ every day in this church. A lack of evangelism, lack of corporate prayer, lack of fellowship, a desire of self-gratification over filling of the Holy Spirit. Concern over appearance over character. 
need for discipleship, complacency, failure to raise a new generation, a lack of vision. Now let's look at the, what Jesus prescribes for this church here in, in the church of Sardis. He gives us six treatments. He, he tells us to be watchful. We ought to strengthen what remains. We strengthen the weak. We ought to remember our foundation. We hold fast to the truth. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. And we need to reflect on that, our options. We need to weigh the cost of what it is not to do that. So let's pick up here at verse 2. Of course, that would help if I went back to Revelation. Sorry. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, now you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. To be watchful, to be alert, to be on guard, to be awake. And the verb tense for that is a continual watch. You don't let down your guard. You keep your spiritual eyes and ears open 24-7 as a believer. For your works-based religion is a lie. It doesn't matter how good your deeds are. The truth remains. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness deeds are like filthy garments, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind that take us away. And Galatians 2.16 says, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faith in Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. This is who this church allowed into their church. They got caught up in the processes. They got caught up in the ministry. They didn't see the people. They didn't acknowledge them. Recognize the ever-present danger of the enemy's presence. That's what we are called to do. Our tendency is to drop our spiritual guard, but we need to be alert and silver-minded your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. That's what the scriptures tell us. And so we've got to be alert at all times. The problem is when you're asleep, it's like it's as good as being drunk. You know, you're, you're intoxicated. Ephesians 5.18 tells us not to be drunk in dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual filling. We need that Holy Spirit. We need him to strengthen us. Continues on, it says, strengthen the things which remain. Revive the weak. That's for us to make firm and establish anything that's salvageable, whether it's in our ministry, in our personal walks, in our households. We need to cling on to what is good. We need to love what the Lord loves and hate what he hates. We need to foster those relationships with those around us. We need to be able to pour into those. We need to know them to do it. We've got to make the time. We need to redeem the time. He's telling us to, you know, to get fired up. You know, we've got to exercise. We've got to spiritually exercise. We have to fulfill these things. But it goes so much more than fulfilling them. We have to have the heart behind it. Then he tells us in verse 3 to remember. What, what are we to remember? What they've received and heard is what he tells them. The foundation in which they founded their church on. What was it built on? At one time it was booming Clearly the Lord was in it. It was a healthy thing. For some of you, that's the condition you come in here today. You're, you come in here heavy-hearted because you, you, know, you know you're not in the place you should be. You're not in the same condition you once were. New is not always better and old is not always bad. You know, you, know, you, you began the work in, with Jesus. You started it in the Spirit and you're you tend to want to end it in the flesh. And we have to do everything in our strength not to do that. We need to be watchful. We need to remember what, what the important things, what are the pillars that we're not willing to compromise on. For us here in this church, it's simple. We stick to the word of God. And fellowship and breaking of the bread. We ask that the Holy Spirit be present in everything. There's an account in Second Kings that reminds me of this and what it's like to come back to your relationship with, with the Lord. 
And in 2 Kings 6, verses 1 through 7, this is what it says. It says, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, Behold, now the place before you were, we are living, is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go then. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my father, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron flow. And he said, Take it up for yourselves. So he put out his hand and he took it. Just like these prophets that began to cut down the trees, so we too have a, a work. We work, we do ministry, we minister to our families. You know, we've signed up for volunteer at different places. We took on other jobs. We think no problem. We, we can handle it. We have the strength to overcome it. I can put more and more on my shoulders but we find ourselves yoked in a bondage to the works and not to Jesus. But during the project, somehow, we manage to lose sight of what we're cutting, and we lose sight of our cutting edge. We're not effective because we've lost contact with the Lord. We've lost our axe head and the way that we are serving God. And it's funny as we'll run to those that we know. We'll run to the man of God, as it says here. We'll run to those with faith and we'll rely on them because we don't have the faith ourselves sometimes. And what does the man of God tell him? Take it up for yourself. Because there isn't anyone that's going to restore the relationship that you need with Christ today except you yourself. You have that ability today. It'll be an option for you today. The question for you and I is, at what point did we lose that cutting edge? Where did that go wrong? Did we recognize it? How much damage did we do before we even recognized it? There was a time when your ministry was blossoming, your growth group, home life was peaceful. Take it up for yourself. Nobody can do it for you comes down to humbling yourself before God, getting on your knees in prayer. That's the only salvation is repentance, to come to him. He tells them to hold fast. It's a continual verb once again, to keep guard. It's one thing to recall the truth. It's another to hang on to it, not want it to slip away. See, when we fall asleep behind the wheel, we drift. And whenever you're drifting, whether you're asleep or not, it never ends well. Have you ever been zoning out, driving down the street, and all of a sudden someone's honking at you and you realize, oh, I'm halfway into that lane? Okay, I've done that a few times. Jude says, earnestly contend and fight for the faith. Are we willing to fight for the things that we believe in? See, when we slide and when when we... gravitate and we, we weave out of our lanes, it's when we, that's when we take on tolerance, we take on liberalism, we take on compromise. When we drift, we're never going anywhere good. The last thing he calls them to do is to, is to repent. We need to, change our, we need to change our minds, we need to change our directions, we need to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to put up on the screen for you the, the thing the church of Sardis was most guilty of is not so much the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. There were many things that we know more about this church by what is not written than what is written. And so the, the very things that they omit in their lives created that sin for them. They were a dead church. And when you, when you repent for them, it brings back life and vitality. So they had to turn from death to life, compromise to conviction, forgetfulness to remembrance, slothfulness to watchfulness, weakness to strength. This is how God redeems us. 
He has the ability to change everything and to take everything on. Really, the last exhortation is that we have to reflect. Look what it says here. It says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. He's not talking about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about a judgment for them. It mirrors the second coming of Christ for us as believers, that we don't know when he's coming. If we did, we'd, we'd, for many of us, we'd walk that gray line. Matthew 24, 40 through 44 says this, then, then there shall be two men in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready, too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. I also like what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying, Peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them, something like birth pangs upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, and that day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having Put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet and a hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the promise we have. That is the hope we have. That is what we must cling to. That is what we must hold fast to. That is why we must repent. Because there is no greater place to be in his presence. and There is no greater joy. Even in death, the, the scriptures promise us to be absent from the bodies present with the Lord, and all, and all of that is joy. Second Timothy 4, 8 says this, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So God makes us four promises here in this section the scripture. Look at verses 4 through 6. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, but they walk with me in white. A few names, even in Sardis. That sounds like an insult to me. For they are worthy. He who I overcome shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. How sad would it be to come into a church and say there are only a few here? Even in Sardis. Tells me there were a lot of people, there were a lot to choose from, but out of that, only a few. So the promises Jesus makes, there's four of them, is that we can be in his presence. We can obtain his purity, his protection, his praise. So the first promise here is that he, we're promised his presence. He said, you can walk with me. It doesn't matter about your soiled, dirty garments. You come and you walk with me. See, your your soiled, dirty garments would have disqualified you from worshiping and honoring the God. It would have been dishonoring for you to come in soiled garments before him. It's symbolic also of our, our spiritual conduct, the clothing. It represents our sin that we take on. And in Scripture, that sin usually refers back to sins against our bodies, Adultery, you know, lying, drunkenness, carnality, gossip. These are the things that enter the church. These are the things that most likely were prevalent in the church of Sardis. We don't know what sins, but the, en- the enemy, when you allow complacency in, and we know that to be the sin of the church of Sardis, then you allow in all these other things because there's nobody to watch and see it coming. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're promised this purity, that we be clothed in white. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. On the Mount of Transfiguration, 
Jesus was praying and his garments became radiant. They were glowing. They were white. White as light. John, John, first in, in 1 John 3, 2, 3, it says this, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him, just as he is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. We need to be fixed on him. We need to keep our eyes on him. We are promised to his protection. He will not blot our names out. He knows our names. He knew the name and the church of Sardis. He knew their reputation. But if you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ today, you will not be blotted out. He will not take you. He will not snatch you out of his hand. You cannot be snatched out of his hand. If principalities cannot snatch him out of snatch you out of his hand, you certainly can't jump out. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Where to overcome? The promise is for those who overcome, your name will not be blotted out. That victory comes in faith in Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, 15 says, that If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But Luke 10, 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's not a matter of losing your salvation. It's a matter of whether will you accept it. Go back to verse 1. These things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, this is what the church of Sardis was lacking more than anything. It was lacking the Holy Spirit. It was lacking leadership that was moved by the Holy Spirit. They're sleepwalking through life. And if we really believe that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church, then we need, we need to rely on that. We need to believe what Ephesians 5.18 tells us, that we're not to be drunk in wine, which is dissipation, but we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that continual filling. Are you asleep today behind the wheel in your spiritual walk? Are you sleepwalking? Are you like the walking dead, literally? Dead man walking. Dead man walking is a man that's literally going to his death sentence. Because without Christ and without his redeeming work, each and every one of us is sentenced to death. We do not know the day or hour. Some of us, we could leave here today. Something could happen. I was reminded of that years back. I don't take for granted when someone says, I want to pray for you. Today, God wants to deliver some of you from the bondage. Maybe today for you it just works. You're just caught up in being so busy you really haven't taken time to sit at his feet and to hear from him. You wouldn't recognize his voice right now when you have to make an important decision in your life. You'll, he- you'll hear something, but you're liable to hear you, the people around you. Would you be smart enough to run to the man of God that you know? Can you, but you can have that relationship yourself. You can pick it up for yourself. A.W. Tozer says this. We'll put it on the screen for you. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 90% of what we do would go on and, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know, would know the difference. So Jesus told his disciples to wait before they entered the ministry until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For you and I, as believers, for those that believe and have a saving faith in Jesus Christ today, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But we need a constant filling, don't we? Maybe today you find yourself so full of yourself there isn't room for the Spirit. 
you know, I was explaining this to my kids one day, and I'm like, we are temples. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I'm having this moment with them. I think I'm getting through to them, and my son looks at me, nine years old, and he's like, Dad, you've got a lot of rooms in your temple that haven't been explored. I love that kid. You know, but the truth is that there's a lot of us. We're void. The rooms are empty. Listen to what Matthew 23, 27 through 28 says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and, and all uncleanliness. Even so you also outwardly appear... Righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Whitewashed tombs. He was speaking to the religious leaders. He was speaking to those that knew the word. They knew it, but there was such hypocrisy in their life. They were led by the flesh. Matthew 7, 22 and 23, we'll put that on the screen for you, it says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did, we, we, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. For us as Christians, neutrality is not an option for the believer. Jesus says, who is not with me is against me. He desires an intimate relationship with you today. This is the God of the Bible. He cares about you. Not when you show up here on Sunday and come through these doors. He cares about you every day. Maybe today you're here because you're relying, just like that passage out of Kings, you're relying on that godly man. You're relying on a relationship with somebody else. You're sitting here pretending to be somebody you're not next to your family members. But the Lord knows your name. He knows your reputation. He calls you by name. I really wanted to hammer in on the Holy Spirit here at the end, but I I really feel led to just share this with you. Right now in this church, there are dead men walking. If we are we are called to if we are called to truly if the if the example of who we are as a church and who God says we are to be as disciples is that, that we and the marquee should be that we love one another, then we have to stand guard, we have to watch. The city of Sardis fell twice because they didn't learn their lesson. You know, it says in history that a child could have protected that city. Because the way the city was outlined, all it would have took is one person just to look down the hill and they would have seen the enemy coming. Are you and I willing to let people walk into these doors and out of our church on a regular basis who don't know him? Are we this holiday season going to sit with our families and not share the love of Christ? There are people dying. There are people, they are dead men walking walking to their death. What really woke me up this morning was something that I thought to bring into the message here. But I believe it's from the Lord is that there are people in here right now that are contemplating taking their own lives. This is a time and the season, many of us go into holiday parties and things, and there are people that feel alone without Christ. Some of you, maybe today you find yourself depressed and you have the Lord. But you're thinking about taking your life. The simple facts, 30,000 Americans every year kill themselves. Every 16 minutes, somebody kills themselves. That's 80 a day. 1,500 attempts a day. 
the attempts outweigh the actual deaths by dramatic percentage. Why? Because people don't really want to die. They're looking for hope, and the hope is in Jesus. For every four, four male suicides, there's one female suicide. But guess what? Women attempt suicide more than men. Death and sin knows no gender. It knows no economic, demographic statistic. The enemy will take you out in any condition. Not with the Lord. Your strength has to be in him. As we close this morning, I'm convinced that there are people in here this morning that are contemplating this. Maybe you know the Lord. Maybe today you're just struggling. You've gotten so caught up in your everyday practices that you're you're much like those whitewashed tombs. But maybe you don't know the Lord. And when you consider ending your life, I tell you that today that God has a hope and a promise for you. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, 2 says this, We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we end this section of this passage in Revelation. It says, let us hear what the Spirit is saying. Do we hear what the Spirit is saying? Can you hear his voice? Are you so distant from the Lord that you don't hear him?